Well, hey, good morning. Welcome, everybody in the room. Are you awake? Are you here? Love it. Welcome to everybody online. And uh, as the resident extrovert right now, I just want to say it is so good to be back in person and looking forward to next week where I'm just probably going to explode. But for today and right now where you're at at home or at the lake, like Blake said, wherever you're at, comfortable, wherever you're here right now, we are just so happy that you are here joining us. Uh, We just want to get ready for you next week, which is why this is just a small group. But man, we can't wait to see so many of you. Honestly, many of you for the first time in months starting next week. So uh, here's how I want to start today. And we're ending the series that we've been in right now for the last four weeks. uh, All about the Shema. It's called In the Wild. And In the Wild is short for In the Wilderness. The Israelites walked with God after they exiled out of Egypt. And so this, this period of waiting, this period of following, this period of unknown, which all, all of a sudden starts, starts to sound a lot more relevant today. The Israelites walked through this period of in the wild, in the wilderness with God, and God has this repeated message over and over and over, and it's this message, remember. Remember. So as we recap the series, we started like this. Celebration. As we talked about celebration week number one, God says when you celebrate, I'm actually going to give you festivals, reasons for celebrating. When you celebrate, remember me. Here's week two. We talked week two about fasting. God says, hey, when you withhold from food, when you withhold from drink, when you withhold from these things that your body needs physically, I want you to remember that I am who provides for you. That you don't live on just bread and water, but you live on me. I give you breath. I give you life. Week number three, it says this, all about tithing. God said, when it comes to money, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to possessions, I want you to give to me first because I want you, when you give, to remember that your provision does not come from you. Your provision comes from me. And then today we have this really weird topic that we're going to talk about. And the topic is this one, Sabbath. What do you think of when you hear or read the word Sabbath? I mean, if I'm honest with you, when I read it a couple weeks ago and I realized this was mine, it was a little bit of like, oh, like give me something more fun. Give me something more exciting. Give me something with more energy. I don't want to talk about Sabbath. It feels like all we've done the last four months is Sabbath. You know, get an amen from anybody. Does it feel like we've just stayed and we've just sat and we've just rested? Give me something that talks about moving and going and being excited and adrenaline and things to do and things to accomplish. But the Sabbath piece, it actually says quite the opposite. And as we start digging, I just want to ask you this question. And here's my question. Whether it's the last four months, whether it's the last four years, whether it's your entire life, have you ever had seasons where you just felt tired? Not just like a superficial tired, not just like a power nap tired. Like, have you ever had a season in which your soul felt tired, fatigued, restless, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't understand the category of tired until I had a toddler. And uh, we have what people affectionately refer to as an active toddler. And what that means is he is set on ending his life in one of a thousand ways, and our job as parents is to prevent it from happening, right? Whether it's sharp objects in the house, whether it's electrical sockets. I was out just a couple weeks ago working outside. I had an eight-foot ladder. I set it up, and Judah's running around and doing his own thing. I turned for no joke three seconds. I turned back around, and he's already on step two. And I go, I'm just going to watch. I just want to see how it plays out. And so step two, step three, step four, step five, he doesn't even stop to catch his breath. He climbs all the way to the top and I'm just sitting there going, I'm tired. 
This is nonstop, never ending. And so maybe this is, for those of you that have little kids, those of you that have adult kids that you've survived, thank you. We're proud of you. Please share with us your knowledge, your experience, how to get through it. But I remember, here's what it's like every day. We get to the end of the day. It's like 8 o'clock, 8.30. We finally put Judah down to sleep. And Shannon and I walk down to the living room and we just sit. And we are so tired and we want nothing more to sleep. But do we go to bed? No. Why? Because it's the first time we don't have to parent. And so we'd rather stay awake in misery than go to bed knowing as soon as we wake up, it starts all over again. Is that anybody else in the room? You ever feel like that with work? No. Okay. All right. Well, we'll move on. You ever feel that way? Maybe in marriage, it just seems like over and over and over. We, we kind of get into the cycles. Maybe it feels like it in school. Maybe it feels like just in rhythms and life and family and other tensions and neighborhoods, whatever it may be. So many of us, we seek and we look out for, for like this one moment or this one season where we can finally take a break. And many of us call it vacation. What if God had something bigger and better in mind than just a Hail Mary every once in a while when it gets so bad? What if God said, I actually have a different rhythm that I want to create for you to live in that speaks and ministers to your soul and your body actually feels the effects of it as well? That's why we're talking about Sabbath today. So to end this series, we're actually going to go to the beginning of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And it goes like this, verse 1. God had just created everything. And so it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he what? Rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. My entire life, I would read this passage and think to myself, God must have been so tired. Have you ever thought that? That must have been hard, just creating and speaking life and putting life into motion and creating rhythms and plants and animals, sun and star and skies and what. God must have been tired, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say it. It, it actually, if we, if we rewind just a little bit, it says day six, God created this thing called Adam. This thing called humanity. God created us. He created people. So on the sixth day, God created us different than all of his creation. He created us in his image, in his likeness, so that we are like him. We're the only beings in all of creation that actually resemble and reflect who God is. And so God creates us on the sixth. He steps back and he looks at his work. He looks at his creation and he says, the seventh day I'm going to rest. But on the seventh day of God, who's first day was it? Us. Adam. Have you ever thought about this, that Adam's first day alive was spent on a Sabbath with his creator? Adam wasn't tired. Adam didn't have the opportunity yet to be tired. God wasn't tired. God doesn't get tired. But on the first day, God says, I created my creation like me, different from all the rest. On the first day that we have together, I want to spend it together. Not doing work, not doing tasks, but, but separate than the other days. Holy, 
consecrated, set apart for the purpose of this is a different creation. And so we're going to spend time together. Everything else that comes after comes out of a place of Sabbath with God. So important for us to catch and so easy for us to miss. There is something so ingrained in every one of our DNA that longs for Sabbath and longs for rest with God. That's how we were created. So the Shema, the the Israelites, they leave and they exile Egypt and they're following the Lord. And God says over and over, remember, remember, remember. And so here's our anchor passage for this entire series of which God says, I'm going to give you specific things, specific ways to live, specific ways to function in your lives and rhythms to have. I want to say this to my people so that they can hear me. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. God says this to his people, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God says, I want you to remember me. And so for the Israelite people, for the rest of their history, as they would celebrate and live out Sabbath with God, a day every single week that was set apart to be holy, it was Saturday. They would live out and remember the creation account, that God is creator, God is life giver, God is provider, and God says, you are different, and so you and I have a different relationship. You are my people. Six days you will work, and the seventh you will not. So let's read this. Uh, Commandments. Moses actually gives the commandments to his people while they're out in the wild, in the wilderness. And here's the commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then number four, believe it or not, did you know this was in there? Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Did you ever realize that it was as high up as it was? I didn't. I didn't. As I'm reading and studying and and rereading the Ten Commandments, I go, that's number four? It seems like that would belong somewhere down here. Right? Number ten, especially in America. We got stuff to do. We got things to go, places to visit, people to see. But, But here's the other thing. Notice, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. That actually comes before you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet, honor your father and mother. Notice the importance that God gives to a very special day of which us and him rest. It's not a suggestion from God. It's an invitation to live according to the rhythm of life that he created. So important for us to remember. So why is it so difficult for us, many of us in this room and many of us watching online, why is it so difficult for us to actually live this out? 
uh, I've had a number of um, different busy seasons, I would call them, just as I'm sure everybody in this room has, everybody watching online. But I remember one of the, the busiest and hardest seasons of my life actually came right before and after I started here working at Frontline. And uh, if you would look at the last, like the previous eight years leading up to this, it was almost a different place of living every year, different roommates every year. You add in Shannon into the mix and meeting her for the first time and starting to date and then get engaged and married and then places that we moved, the merging of lives together, starting new jobs and full-time jobs, paying off debt, finishing college. I mean, you, you name it. It was like stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking. And, and honestly, here's what it would have felt like. I don't have time for Sabbath. I can't afford Sabbath. I can't afford it. And so after, as I'm watching year after year after year, tired and tired and tired, which looking back now that I have kids, I just wonder how in the world could I even have felt tired compared to the level it is now. But, but looking back and realizing my soul is starting to reap the effects of disregarding one of God's most important commands to his people for year after year after year after year after year. And then you add different stresses. You had leadership. You had relational dynamics and family and marriage. You had all of these together and, and your soul starts to display dysfunction. So I remember there was a man that was here uh, who ended up being a very strong spiritual mentor and coach for my life for about a year after. I remember I was sitting right in the back in the tech booth and I remember he came up to me and he said, I'd love to do lunch with you. I just feel like God put that on my heart. And in my heart, I went, I don't want to do lunch with you because God put that on my heart too, and I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of what you're going to see. I'm afraid of what you're going to find. And then the manly man that I am is weeping at our first meeting over lunch. I'm just trying to hide it, you know, at the chilies, and I'm going, oh, this is why I didn't want to do this. But my soul starts responding to a lack of rest, a lack of maintenance, a lack of care. And he starts asking me these questions. He asked me three questions. This was so interesting for me. He said, do you feel better about yourself after you accomplish something and do it well? To which I replied, duh. Don't you? Wouldn't you? You feel good about yourself after you perform, after you work, after you do something good and you do it well? I said, absolutely I do. Here's question number two. Do you feel worse about yourself after you fail at something or don't perform? So I guess I hadn't thought about it to that level or that layer before, but yeah, I, I guess I do. Okay, that's interesting. Here's the last question he asked. Is it possible that you've tied your work or your performance to your value and identity as a person. And that one I said, wow. Because I never thought about that before. What we proceeded to do over the next year was unpack some of these deep-seated pain and wounds and beliefs in my life that said my value goes up when I work and do and perform and when I don't, my value goes down. Add Sabbath into the mix. When I stop doing, my value decreases. Therefore, I don't want anything to do with it. He said, that's a lie. We need to unpack that, figure out the root of where that comes and then realize God has established a rhythm for life. God has established, he's built you in a way that you are dependent upon him. It's not this independence model. What did we just celebrate yesterday? The 4th of July, right? What kind of day is it? 
Independence Day. Here's how contradictive that actually is. God says, I don't ever want you to be independent. I want you to be wholly and utterly dependent on me for everything. And if we're honest, that's why so many of us resist Sabbath. We resist setting apart a day. We resist holding back on work or producing. We resist it because we feel like it costs us too much. That we begin to fall behind, lag behind other people, and it reminds us that we are not as dependent on ourselves as we might have hoped. God's Shema that he talks to his people and he says over and over, remember, remember, remember. His reminder to us in Sabbath on a weekly basis is you are dependent on me. Whether you like it or not. Whether you believe it or not. Whether you feel it or not. You are dependent on me. And here's the important thing. But you can trust me. You can be dependent on me. Here's the important thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. The Sabbath is a constant reminder of our dependence upon God. It is that weekly rhythm, that weekly discipline that reminds us we are utterly dependent on our creator. I wrote this down. I, I just thought this was important truth for me to hear, but maybe it's true for you. That my ability to hear God speak into my life has so much more to do with my availability to listen rather than the method of his communication. And often, I think many of us, we live life, we go through these weekly rhythms or daily rhythms or yearly rhythms or, or seasons in which we're just living and doing life. But oftentimes, if we're honest, many of us would say, if I'm speaking out of my soul, I would say, God, there are many times that I don't hear your voice. And I'm calling. I dialed the number. I said, here I am. I'm in trouble. Are you there? Or God, it just feels like you're distant. God, it just feels like I can't find you. God, it's like I, I read this book, I, I go through scripture, and I'm going, it's just not hitting, it's not connecting, it's not, it's not speaking to me what I need to hear right now. And sometimes we grasp at things, we hope they work, and then they don't work. And we grasp at relationships and hope those work, and then they don't. We grasp at jobs, we grasp at money, we grasp at, at so many other things that we've already unpacked in this series, looking for what they can provide. But here's the thing that so many of us need, that so many of us don't carve time out to do, is say, God, I need time with you to hear hear your voice. And him speaking isn't so much with a, a megaphone. It's not a billboard on the side of the highway. It's this soft, subtle whisper that is discovered in regular, disciplined time with him. This is why he created Sabbath. Most people I talk to are tired they're really tired. There's a person in my life, he's in ministry, and every time I sit down with him, he asks me this question. And the reason he asks and then he smiles afterwards is because I answered it wrong the first time he asked me. And he said, David, what is the best thing that you bring to your ministry? And so I want to put, put you in my shoes, okay? What, what is the best thing that you bring your marriage? What is the best thing you bring your classmates? What is the best thing you bring to work? or your kids, or your neighborhood? What, what is the best thing that you contribute to the world around you? 
And so he asked me this question in a Starbucks. And I'm sitting here going, oh man, what is it? There's a lot to choose from, isn't there? Sheesh. My personality? Just kidding. That my extrovertedness? No. But then, you know, you really start, okay, is it, is it leadership? Is it my ability to lead? Is it, is it the relationship value that I offer? Is it my parenting? Is it my ability to work or produce wealth? And so I start like struggling and start saying, how do I say this without sounding prideful? And then how do I say this without really thinking that one through? And so as I'm struggling and fumbling, I'm just looking at it and he's just sitting there like this. And it hits me, I'm not even close. And so I look at him and I say, what's the best thing I bring? He says, David, I'm so glad you asked. And I go, oh, brace for it, brace for it. It's going to hurt, I can tell. He said, the best thing that you offer to the world and to the people around you is a well-ordered soul. I said, really? And you start to unpack that. And you start to realize that out of our souls, Jesus would even describe with his disciples, out of your heart, you will see what's really in there. It'll be an overflow. It's not, I, I deal with this last. It's I deal with my heart and my soul and my relationship with God first because out of there affects everything. It affects my leadership. It affects my role as a spouse. It affects my role as a dad, as a pastor, as a coworker, as a friend, as a teacher, whatever it is. Out of my relationship with God of a place of a well-ordered soul, of a soul that is rested, it's the best and most valuable thing I offer. And here's the thing. It comes from a place of dependence upon God, not independence from him. So important for us to realize. I, uh, one of my favorite things when I was a kid was a yo-yo. Did any of you have a yo-yo? You remember these? Remember things before screens when kids played outside and, and had things they could hold and not watch? So this was mine. I, I loved this. I would take this to school. I, would, uh, I was also a juggler, but I figured that's just too stupid. So I brought my yo-yo. And I loved the yo-yo because it was fun and, you know, you learn how to do tricks. And, you know, I could hold it and it stays. And then you do like a little rocking pendulum because that's cool when you're in fourth grade. And, and you could like walk the dog instead of walking a real dog, right? It's way more obedient and whatnot. So I, I remember playing with the yo-yo, loving the yo-yo, thinking, it was so fun, but, but the yo-yo actually offers a lot to all of our lives that oftentimes we forget. And here's what, what the yo-yo offers. It goes down, and it comes back up, usually, when I need it to, right? You drop the yo-yo down, and when it's done right, when you're used to it, when, we, when you're familiar, it comes back up. It goes down, and it comes back up. It goes down, comes back up. Let me change the words. You work, and then you rest. Then you work, and then you rest. God said, this is how I've created life. I want you to work, and then I want you to rest. Would you stay with me? Not, not you just stay and rest all the time when you walk around and you say, I'm really good at yo-yoing, and, and you never do something with it. He said, no, 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 I created you to work. I created you to till the ground and produce. And I created you to, to rule this thing called earth. I've given it to you. I've entrusted it to you, but, but it comes with a rhythm. And it also doesn't mean I just work, 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 work. And we just let it hang, and we see how long can it hang, and then it starts to spin out. And, and you ever have it like this where you're like, come on, go back up the string. Come on. 
And if we're honest, many of us live in this space. We live here going, come, just get a little spin. Get a little spin. I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to go home an hour early this week. And you spin, and you're like, What's, this thing's stupid. Or I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to give it a really good spin, and I come back, and I find myself in the same place. God's intended rhythm for life is work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. And the words he chooses, he says, I want you to set apart one day a week. For the Jewish people, it was Saturday. I want you to set apart Saturday, week in and week out. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to cook. I don't want you to run. I don't want you to do all of these things that just require energy and effort from you that somehow provide a sense of value and independence. God says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to work, and then I want you to rest. I wish that would have worked. That would have been better. Can I tell you about one of the best places for me to Sabbath? I'll show you a picture. It's right here. I think many of us connect with God in different ways and in different environments. Some of us connect with God. This place of rest happens in this room of worship. Some, it's displayed through studying and reading and learning and reading theological books and understanding God and, and unpacking different theologians and their perspectives. Some people connect that way. Other people connect by being in a group of other people in which they can be spurred on and encouraged in their relationship with him. Mine, one of my favorite ways to connect with God that just gives rest, not just to my body, but to my soul, is here. It's in the woods. Uh, hunting was this hobby that I recently kind of fell into as I married into a family that loved to hunt. And, and what I learned early on was like, you go out, and especially as a young man, you're like, this is fun, and this, I'm like the next Bear grills out here. Like, I could survive forever out here. And then you realize, like, you don't see anything at all for hours upon hours upon hours, and you start smelling yourself, and you start, am I moving too much? It's too cold out here. And it, it's all these other things, these external factors start affecting you because it becomes about one thing, what can I do or accomplish out here in the woods? You know, what changed it for me, what changed my perspective is that you realize that the, the final product of hunting, right, the kill so you can harvest it and eat it and bring it home to your family, the final product is actually not the intended goal at all in this thing called hunting for me. When I say I get to go out and hunt, I go out early in the morning. Or I go out at the end of the day on a non-work day. And I get to sit in a chair I get to silence my phone, and I don't even move. I just sit still, and my gaze just goes back and forth, back and forth. In the morning, I hear the woods wake up. If you've never done that, it's amazing. I mean, you hear a squirrel running, and it sounds like an elephant. And you're like, are you kidding me? I'm going to get an elephant today? And it's just like this little ground squirrel. It's really disappointing. But over and over and over... The more you go out, the more you sit, the more you realize, I can rest. I can relax. And I open up this line of communication between me and my Savior that is so much easier. It's so much more natural. And I can hear his voice so much more clearly because there's not screens there's not yelling and kids and there's not distractions and work. It's just me and God doing nothing but the first thing that God did with Adam in the creation account. 
We just rested together. I want that for you. God wants that for you. I can't help, just as we wrap up, I can't help but talk about Good Friday when we talk about Sabbath. You may say, why? I mean, for the Israelites, what they would remember over and over in the purpose of Sabbath was to think back to the creation account and the culmination of creation. And God created man in his own image, and then they rested together. But fast forward then, maybe 2,000 years, there's this man named Jesus. Jesus does ministry for three years, and he walks, and he establishes these rhythms for life, and his disciples are learning and following him and and trying to model what he does. And so Good Friday comes, and Jesus, they celebrate communion together, which is one of the last things we did together before we had to split up for the last four months. Jesus gets his disciples around, and he has communion, and and he, he does communion, and he says the words over and over, remember, 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 take this bread and remember my body, take this cup and remember my blood, remember, 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 and then Jesus on Friday night goes up, and he's hung on a cross to die. And the earthquake shakes the ground and the dark, the sky goes dark and the curtain rips in two and the disciples flee and they're hiding. And then the next, that night, I mean, we're talking hours or minutes later, this thing called Sabbath begins because it would start on Friday night and it would end on Saturday night. And I want you to hear this. At a time that was most difficult, most terrifying, most painful for Jesus' disciples and for his followers and for God's chosen people, the Israelite people. At this time, when they needed God the most, they did nothing. And they rested. It was as if their whole world shut down. And as a reminder for us today, for the disciples of Jesus, and man, I, I, I wish the Israelite people would have understood the significance of it. But on the day that we rested, God did the most important and powerful work for his people. It's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And Sabbath day ends at night. People go to bed and they wake up and it's this thing called the Easter that we celebrate now forevermore. Sabbath is at the center of God's desired rhythm for life. So as we remember the Shema and what God said to his people, we remember creation and God's desire to set apart one day to spend with him. We also remember the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Our God is a good God who loves us But to follow him requires us to get in line with his rhythm so he can minister us, minister to us, and minister to our souls at the deepest level. Let's pray together. God, we're just grateful for your work on the cross. We're grateful for creation. We're grateful that you've created us in your own image, in your own likeness, because you love us and want nothing more than to be with us. That even things like like marriage, God, or adoption are just, they're metaphors for life to describe your relationship with us. How much you love us, you want to be close to us, you want to be involved in our lives, you want to be involved on a regular basis, not some distant phone call away, but this close friendship forever. God, you tell us to call you Father. 
And, you know, reminded even Jesus, as we think about Sabbath and you, they're not separate. Jesus said to your people, God, that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Father, I just pray that you would minister to us right now, that as we come off this season of three or four months of separation, for many isolation, for many fear, for many uh, loneliness, for many sickness, for many loss, for so many, God, we've hurt and we've lost and we've broken and we've lamented. And Father, we show up right now, many of us longing and looking for something, and if we're honest, it's not you. Father, change our hearts in this moment. Draw us closer and closer to you and remind us that our dependence is not on ourselves. That even though we celebrate yesterday our independence as a country, today, God, let us celebrate our dependence on you. We love you, Lord. We lift this up in the precious and powerful and holy name of Jesus. Everybody said together, amen.